Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Cloud Control, brought to you by Spot by NetApp, your one stop for cloud ops. Today, we are joined with Edith Levine. She is the CEO and founder of Solo.io, a application networking company that is valued at over $1 billion, so one of the unicorn companies. She has an extensive background in technology, previously working as CTO of the cloud management division at Dell EMC and several previous startups. But she began her journey in Israel where she balanced computer science studies with professional basketball, and we're going to talk about that because I'm a sports fan. Her passion for technology led her to move to the U.S. and ultimately start solo in 2017. Edith, thank you for joining us on Cloud Control today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you for joining us. I'm looking, I've been looking forward to this conversation. We've had to reschedule it a couple of times because of the state of some things in the world. And um, I know there's a lot going on. And um, so it's been, but I'm glad that you were able to finally join us and we can sit down and talk. Basketball to containers. How does that journey work? Oh, and I was going to say, and what has be, coming from the world of um, competitive sports, basketball taught you about the business world? Ah, that's a good question. I mean, as you kind of like stated as well, I do believe that there is a lot of relationship between being a competitive uh, basketball player to what we're doing right now. So I think in the nuts of it, I really like winning. Like really, that's what I like. I want to be the best. I want to win. This is something that always was passion me. I think that from very, very early age, I was very, very competitive. This is why my parents kind of like, let me be a basketball player and kind of like, you know, facilitated there that I would be more calm in my personal life. I feel that what I like about the space that we are personally on the open source is that there's always something happen because of the scale of it. It's not that you just working in one company and maybe compete with you. It's we are together in this. So there's so many people doing this and contributing to the same spot that there's always something new coming. So it's always interesting. There's always exciting which is exactly what I need in my life. Like, I like that excitement. I'm excited about it. I see this and immediately my brain is going, oh my God, we can do this and that. So this is kind of like uh, really helpful. And, and in generally, the reason I started the company is because working in a lot of other stuff company, and as you mentioned, Dell EMC, I learned quite a lot. And I honestly, to be blunt, I thought I can do it better. I felt that a lot of the time, definitely in those big companies, there's a lot of politics and other stuff in this place. I don't like that stuff at all. So I felt that I want to build a company that would be focused on technology. That basically all the idea is to basically get an environment that technologies can work together and have fun and just focusing on technology and push the technology front that you will be the best. And honestly, this is what Zola is all about. If you ask me, then it started because of an idea. I didn't start. I just felt that if I would get that team of people that are so talented and I would abstract them from all these horrible things that exist in the ecosystem of politics and, and business, right? But just tell them, like, just do the thing you're doing the best. Let's make the best technology we can have. Then good stuff, good stuff will happen. And I think that that's basically the focus. When solo, I just be the best in technology. No, that's awesome. And solo works a lot with containers and microservices, which is relatively new and probably even more so when you started the company in 2017. What did you see in the marketplace that made you think we need to really focus on containers and microservices as the future of cloud computing? Like, how did you get that 
actually, let me put it this way. What, yeah. what about containers and microservices did you see coming down the pipe that you were like, I'm going to focus on this because this is what we need right now? So honestly, it was a little bit before that. So as I told you, as someone who is really, really like to be challenged, otherwise I'm bored. Um, I always was the person who's looking and say, what's new, what new? Like a real CTO, if you like, right? And therefore, even before I started solo, I was, you know, like I was with Docker and, you know, I was in DockerCon 1, basically there talking with Solomon, right? So I was always looking at how the market is changing or what interesting happening there. So when I started, so, so basically, as I said, I already did it in the company that I worked before. And then in, in EMC, I already focused on that space. And mainly what I thought is that, you know, the reason it was so innovative is because it's basically changed everything. Like, right, the way we deploy, the way we're scaling it, what mm -hmm. we're doing. So that basically, um, that was what's challenging me. Usually when there is new technology coming up, there is so much holes and, 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 and emptiness that you should, you know, kind of like help making, you know, you know, make it a real ecosystem or something that people can use. So I really like to kind of like, to, to understand what is those gap and kind of like close them. Uh, so that's why I was passionate about container itself. I felt that it's just going to make our life better, right? I mean, with mm -hmm. any other aspect of software. So the question then was when I wanted to start a company, as I said, it wasn't about an idea. It was like ideas. I never had a problem with ideas. That's what I'm good at. So I was more thinking about, I wanted to start a company, that company I'm going to hire very good people. And we're going to do, you know, going to basically just focus on technology and so on. And then I said, okay, great. Now I've got the money. What am I going to fix? Though? Right? I mean, I need to focus on something. And in containers, personally, what I saw is that, as, as, as we talked about it, first of all, is that there is a lot of gap because it's a new space. So there will be a lot of stuff to reinvent. There already was in VM, for instance, right? But we should bring them here. So that's number one. And number two that I felt is that, the, the, the number two that I see is that I saw everybody creating this migration from monolithic to microservices. And I felt that that by itself is an extremely hard thing to do. And I wanted to figure out when the people will move that move. Let's assume that it's already happening. What then? Like, what is the, what, what will be the next problem that people will need to solve? And that's where that the application felt to me that Though we basically already worked on, on moving and in, in, in created this excitement microservices ecosystem, we focus on com compute. Even kind of like solve the storage, mainly by basically saying making stateless. But the only thing that even today, funny enough, we did not innovate was the network. So I felt that that's where we should uh, focus on and basically re reinvent the network exactly like we reinvent con container. So that's basically where Solar is focusing on. When it comes to containerization and the adoption of containers, from your point of view, where you run a company that's focused on the service mesh and the backend networking of container platforms, what do you think the biggest holdup is for companies that haven't moved or that get stuck in that, in that migration path? Like what, what, what's the sticking point and what's something that, can get them over that hump that they may not be thinking about or they may not recognize right away. But after listening to this episode, go, oh, I can handle that. 
right? Like, what is there anything like that that you see as you're going around talking to customers and advocating for your product? So honestly, not too much, and I will explain what I mean. First of all, if you're looking at the market, you will discover that I don't think that there is a lot of company that didn't that don't have container at all. There is maybe it could be a small pod, but you you know a small pocket inside the organization. But usually they'll eat, like most of the people, honestly, the ecosystem did a very good job of going and evangelist why those things is better. You know, it started with Pivotal and Docker and but they, Google and all of this. And I think that they were actually doing a very good job to actually, okay, you know, evangelize that. So I don't think that this is a problem. I think most of the people does have some piece of it. I think that the problem is that not everybody, you know, in the migration, usually people is not moving everything. And therefore, the question is, how do you bring together those two uh, heterogenic environments? So we have a lot of customers, they're using microservices, that's where we're starting with us, that's why they're using our products. But then they say, well, hey, how can I bring my VM to the mesh? How can I bring my Lambda to the VM? How can I bring my ECS to the mesh? And that's where we see more the challenge. I think less challenge that we see is on, oh, we're not using this. You know, Kubernetes at all. I mean, I think that most of the people are does, and yes, it's a big enough market. Let's say that way. As Kubernetes takes off um, and becomes more widely the, the the default container platform, especially for companies that are cloud native, what trends do you see? Like, I, like we hear a lot about Cilium and eBPF for the observability piece. We hear a lot about the importance of API security and um, Microsoft released some um, open source tools to help manage the, um, the security and the patching aspect of containers uh, a few weeks ago or a few months ago um, with a couple different projects that they released into the open source community. What do you see being the next killer feature for Kubernetes that's really going to drive that adoption um, going into the into the next round of innovation that comes from being able to decouple monolithic services? To be honest, I think that as I said, Kubernetes is already being adopted really, really largely. If it's not being adopted, usually it's an organization problem. It's not a Techno, you know what I mean? It's just maybe it's very hard for them because they don't have the right people or so on. But I don't think the problem is that the conversation, like, I think people would love to adopt that. So now, basically, I think what you ask me is, what is new? What is cool happening? And you mentioned Cilium. This is an interesting one. Actually, Cilium is not a new project at all, right? It's older than Solo. It's basically not new at all. And, you know, is it very innovative? So let's talk about it. And I'm saying it with a lot of respect to someone that actually selling Cilium. Um, Cilium is basically focusing on, on, on the networking piece of Kubernetes, which is what's called a CNI, Container Network Interface. And that's basically what it's supplying. That's the main piece that it's supplying today. There were a lot of people doing it before, right? We, most of my customers actually running Calico. Or they're going to AWS is getting the different one. Or they're running... You know, uh, Red, Red, Red Hat, right? They open shift and then they're getting the default one there. So if, just to be fair, it's just kind of like we take stuff in proportion. Most of the people is not running silly, right? Now, is it way better than what there is in the market? And I think this is a great question. Um, 
And the answer is that they're pushing a lot, the eBPF, as you said, it's a very interesting thing. People are hearing about it a lot. It is very, very interesting. And there is some advantage that it's opening, specifically around the fact that it's basically an extension for the operating system. And therefore, if there is stuff that this operating system was basically, you know, think about it, we're running the same operating system for, I don't know, the last 10 years almost. So the question is, um, you know, you know, and 10 years ago, there weren't even containers. So the question is that, are we, are we using the same operating system and the same kernel, but all, almost not being used with a change? Are we running the, and we're running totally different architecture of the, of the application itself, right? Instead of running one per OS, we're running right now a lot of microservices on one OS. Is that the right architecture? Is the operating system kernel is actually the right kernel for us? And there is a reason why the kernel is not changing a lot, right? The kernel is not changing a lot because there is, you know, it's everywhere. So you don't want it to change something that is everywhere. It's well fractal of stuff. You need to be very careful and very stable. So that's where eBPF coming. It's basically giving you the ability to reinvent potentially a new stack, right? For networking, for instance. But the thing is that number one, as I said, it's also relatively limited of what it can do because it's in the kernel. You're not going to talk about layers seven here or something like that. And the second thing is I said, you know, there's no new, like Caligo has eBPF for a long time. AWS just announced their own, it's CNI, CNI for, um, for, with eBPF. So honestly, like when I'm looking at why Filium is so excited and I'm saying it's someone who is selling Cilium, so I'm a provider of Cilium. It's mainly marketing, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's not that new. Uh, and it's helping a little bit. You can a little bit get better performance, but I can be honest with you. When I'm talking to my customers and we have quite a lot, usually, you know, you have a budget for latency. That's what you want to see. Basically people in that windows and then everything else is they want more features. So again, just to be fair, I wanted to put stuff in proportion as someone who really, again, selling it, but I want to be clear about what is this thing that we're selling and what the adventure customers getting with it. So, so that's kind of like a new. But I agree with you, there's not a lot of new stuff that's happening right now. There's not very interesting stuff that's happening right now. I think where the stuff is more interesting is related to AI. And I think that that would be very, very interesting to see how AI is going to renovate the CNCF market. And I think that that would be a very interesting one to watch. To watch or honestly lead. Yeah, that is going to be really interesting to see how we start to use AI, like you start to see it in different products that are already using AI and machine learning based algorithms to drive um, their services that customers subscribe to, right? To take that hands-off approach. Um, one thing that really stood out to me as I was getting ready for this episode was the way that you've built your company. You've really hired a very, that's the word I'm looking for. The, the word I'm looking for is intentional. You, you've approached how you've built your company out very intentionally. What led you to have that culture, right? Like you've worked for Dell EMC, you've worked for a number of startups. What in your experience made you go, I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to run my, the people side of my company this way and hire very intentionally, hire some of the best skilled employees that I can and keep it very close and employee focused. Like walk us through your management style and what led you to where you be on your journey as a leader. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I was a very, very, very frustrated engineer. <laughs> and, and for a lot of reasons. 
right? But I mean, a lot of them is that some stuff that I needed to overcome in myself. But I think that a lot of this stuff is because I'm a very efficient person. I'm like, you know, when I'm going to the mall, I'm thinking about where to park in order to be as close as to the store that I need, right? This is the, how efficient I am, everything that I'm doing. So I felt that a lot of the stuff that's happening right now in the market is, you know, it's specifically in the company that I work, it just wasn't really efficient. It wasn't about technology. I remember me coming to EMC and ask some question about some company that we bought. And I asked my boss, but wait, why, why are we not doing this and this and this? And he said to me, and he explained me something that not related whatsoever to the technology. He explained something about the organization. And I'm like, wait, but I don't understand how it's related to the question that I ask. I ask, why are we not doing this and this and this? That's related to the software. And he answered the same question. And it took me time to understand that it's not about the technology. Unfortunately, in those organizations, it's about the organization and the politics and all this stuff. And that to me was, you know, after working with a lot of you with startup, it was like a eyes open, a blown my mind. It's like, wait, what? It's not about the technology. Why wouldn't it be about the technology, right? So I think that as I said to you, this is what one something that I learned while suddenly working in a big organization, which by the way, I went intentionally because I wanted to learn. I said, it's different. I want to see what it is. And so to me personally, in my organization, I'm very, I really like to bring people that are very, very sharp. I believe that surrounding myself by a very, very strong people is going, you know, good stuff will happen. And, and strong, by the way, doesn't mean strong engineers. It could be strong salesperson or it could be right. It doesn't have to be only engineering, but at them stars, I want to get less people that are stars than people that are you know, but more people that are not. And the other thing that was very, very important to me is to listen to everyone and learn. And also to, as you said, you're hiring such a strong people next to you. I mean, you want to listen. Why otherwise you're doing this? So to me, basically listen to them and, 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 and figure out because there's a lot of people like I was, right? That has a lot of strength but some weaknesses also. And because of the weaknesses, for instance, when I came here, it wasn't, English was an horrible thing, right? It was hard to understand. But still, I was right. If you will try a little bit and be more patient and listen to me, you will get the right thing. So a lot of the stuff that I learned through the years is that I have some people you know, that was fired from every, every, every company. And, you know, even today in Solo, someone, we have one of these, and they basically came to me and said to me something like, like, we don't want to work with that guy anymore. And I said, wait, why? Because he said this and this and this. And this. Said, no, because he can't work with him. He's frustrated and saying this and that. And I said, wait, but what does he say? And they say to me, oh, we don't know. I said, so what do you mean you don't know? If this guy was saying something and it's a damn smart one, we want to listen. And by the way, after I listened, he was damn right. He was saying something extremely important. So I think that what I'm trying to understand is, you know, take the strength of people, you know, listen and, you know, be patient about that feedback. And my job as a leader, this is the way I'm looking at this, is to enable the other. And it's not only my job. It's now my manager in the organization job, a good boss. My job is to move mountain in order to make the talent, make creating the, the, the work that we need. And if it means that I need to babysit the kid, that's what I will do. And if it means that I need it, I don't know, to pay more because he's never, whatever I need to do, in order for him to be able to create this amazing work that they can, that's my job. And, and I think that that's, that's something. So there is, again, the culture of Soleil is a little bit different. It's more enabling, it's more caring, it's more, 
it's a little bit different than how I see it in other places. And, and I think it's helpful. And, and to me personally, it's also going to a personal point because I, I have a daughter that she is, uh, is an amazing girl, but she is on the spectrum and she, I learned a lot from her on the fact that I didn't understand a lot of the time her frustration. And I learned that just people are very, very different and you can't motivate them the same way. And a lot of the time, you know, and they have different needs. And I think that I learned a lot because I needed to make sure that I'm taking care of her, of working with other people. And when you motivated people, which is one of the big responsibility of a CEO, definitely a founder, is to listen, to basically understand that people are different and something else is motivated them. So I have three people, you know, I'm, as you, as you asked me in the beginning, my, what I want to do is to win. If you want to motivate me, tell me, oh my God, this guy is better than you. Or, oh my God, you're going to lose this game, right? And then immediately like, oh my God, oh my God, we have to win. And I have another guy that in a company that he was a lot of bully when he was young, right? He was a geek, a real geek. And he, he looking for revenge all the time. He's like, oh my God, oh my God. And then I have another guy that all he cares is about money. Seriously, that's what he cares. So when I, in the beginning, I came to all of them and I said, oh, we're going to win. We're going to win over Google. And like this guy said to me, I want to win. I want to kill them, right? And then I went to the other guy and I said, we're going to win over Google. And he's kind of like looking at me and said to me, what do I care? And I said to him, what do you mean? We're going to win. I don't care. And then I understand money is the motivation. So I said to him, Google is taking all your money. Suddenly he's, <clears throat> you know? So like, you see how different people work and how you motivate them. So I think this is something that, as I said, honestly, my daughter helped me understand a lot. So, so I think that even that in solo, I think in solo, we are all aligned. We are all one, going to one direction and we are, you know, we already take over. <laughs> this is the way I go. Yeah. You come from an engineering background. Has it been hard making that transition from tactical engineer that's working on projects with your hands on the keyboard to the strategic leader of a whole organization? And do you still get time to play around and hack around on the products and do some of that engineering that brought you up to where you are now? Um, and how do you keep close to your roots, your, your technical roots? So I'm not an engineer anymore. I, I'm not going to go and write code, but, and I'm not going to look at a code anymore, unfortunately. But what I will do is architecture, for instance, I will architecture of the product, user experience. That's the stuff that I will touch. Um, I miss it. I will be honest. I, I mean, a lot of the times I wish I could just put my headphone and write code and, you know, because it's honestly, people are harder than software. I can tell you that much. Um, so I'm not doing this anymore, but as I said, I mean, no matter what, I'm still like an engineer in my heart. And therefore, like, though I have a, someone who's running engineering and someone running product, I'm, you know, I'm doing that as well. Like I'm there with the team. I'm involved in everything. I know exactly what's happening. I know which engineer working and what and how. I know like all this stuff I will still keep. And if we're doing the new project, I'm definitely going to be involved in the architecture and user experiences. And usually I'm coming with the direction. Like I will say, okay, here's what we're going to do next. So that's the stuff that I'm still doing. Um, but uh, and to your question of how am I going to then, you know, becoming a strategic? Honestly, I always was a strategic, even an engineer. Like I remember myself saying, you know, why are we doing it or pushing back? Maybe that was the thing that got me in trouble. So, <laughs> so I think I always was in my mind very, very strategic. So now, you know, I'm just allowed to do this, right? 
but also, you know, um, keeping myself very, very close to the. Do you notice a difference with how that engineering background impacts your management style, allowing you to approach those problems as say a company that came up and hired a non-engineer to be the CEO, right? We've seen that with a lot of startups where you'll have the founders who are great technical minds and they realize, you know, business probably isn't the place for me. Um, we'll hire somebody from the outside who's not technical to come be this, this stri- that strategic leader. Do you think that that engineering background really helps a company like Solo IO and that more companies should think about doing it? 100%. And I think that we can look at data, right? I mean, look at companies like, just an example, I always like to take stuff to extreme when I wanted to make a point, but look at the same point, the same time more or less there was Microsoft and Apple, right? Apple brought in a, a CEO, and Bill stayed the Microsoft CEO, right? You know, Microsoft flew to the sky and Apple was crushing until they brought back Steve Jobs, right? So that's just an example. I can look at other stuff, like for instance, uh, you know, Facebook, right? Again, very, very successful uh, in my opinion. Uh, you know, because Zach stayed, you know, Mark, Mark stayed there. Versus, and it, it doesn't mean that he stayed by himself, right? He put it. Put people to, to, to help them with it. But I think it's went better than I'm looking at a company like, for instance, Ashiko, who honestly, like, you know, stop innovating, right? So I do believe that this is important. Um, but, you know, I want Solo to succeed. And if Solo success means that I need to step aside, that's the first thing that I will do, right? Um, I personally think that, you know, you know, and not only me, the team think that I should be the person who is still continue running it. And I think that it's easier to learn the business part, in my opinion, learn the business part versus to learn the technology part. That's a really good point, right? Because I think that some of us with engineering backgrounds get into these positions where it becomes business development or it becomes that more strategic position. And the engineer says, I can't do this. Right? They have that self-doubt because they know that they're good at software engineering. They know that they're good at solving problems. They don't really grasp that it's that strategic leadership is just an extension of your engineering background at the end of the day right like yeah when i came into developer relations i came in from a practitioner background and Mm -hmm. the first thing i thought when i was interviewing for this job was i can't work in an organization where i work closely with sales where i'm impacting sales directly because of my and i I remember sitting on my interview with one of the guys with one of the people that interviewed me and he said you can do it you just talk to me for an hour about it and you've got the skills you just need to learn how to put them together and that was really what gave me the belief that i could move on that and i think that everybody needs that nudge um, kind of like what you mentioned with Apple, right? Where they got rid of Steve Jobs because they thought that they wanted that business leader and their company languished until they brought Steve Jobs back and he really transformed the company. Was he a traditional right. engineer? No, he wasn't a traditional engineer. But he did have that engineer's vision of how to make his products do what he wanted them to do and then hired great people to do it. And I see that trajectory with Solo. Yeah, and I do think that... you. The idea is that the good leader have the big picture, right? And the best leader is the one that also have a detail-oriented picture of it. I think that the problem with someone that is coming not from an engineering background is honestly that he's losing that point, which is he's never going to understand enough the market or he never understand enough the technology. 
I think that learning the other part, honestly, in my opinion, it's easier. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody can do that, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that everybody can, every engineer can become a very good technologist to lead a company. And there is example, I can give you some that took it down, that brought companies, right? I don't know. Like, I, I also always felt that, you know, I always was, as I said, you're more strategic and strategic and a quick learner. So it's, I'm not going to tell you that I didn't make a mistake on marketing and sales. I did because I needed to learn that. But I think that the strength thing was to learn fast and recover fast. And I think that altogether is probably from doing this, it was better to solo that I will stay on the top, even if it means that I will make some mistake. Because eventually I think that, you know, what is important is that there will be someone who knows everything, including the details. So in all of it, yeah, in my opinion, but you know, who knows. Building a company from the ground up and achieving a $1 billion valuation is huge. This industry is dominated by men and that male behavior, right? Like just let's be honest, yeah. the male, this industry yep. is male dominated and that's, and we all know how men in this industry tend to pack together and same with the VC capital. What was it like being a woman trying to fight through some of those gates and how did you find that success? Cause I, I, I feel like that's a feat that we should be highlighting here because I don't think it's as, yeah. I don't think it's, stated enough how much harder it is for a woman in a startup to go get that funding and get that trust of the people investing in them. But you've also managed to do that, but deliver the results. So what has that been like? And what were some of the things that you learned along the way? And what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome? Yeah. So, so I think definitely there was a challenges and I would say today that is that so I, I don't know how to explain that, but I knew that when I would start a company, so like I was very, very, very confident about my ability to deliver. And it wasn't easy still to get money, but I guess no one, it's not easy to get money, period. Uh, I did get a question, like, why don't you have it? Who is your business partner? And I said, why do I need a business partner? I'm building a product. I will build the product. Then I will bring the business partner. Like, why do I need, why do, what is going to do while I'm building the product? Looking at me. So, so that's number one. And the second thing is that uh, there is definitely, you know, I think that one time that I noticed it is that I was looking to raise money for one specific company. It was open source oriented in Boston. There's not a lot. So you probably know it is. But I remember that they really want the point that they even asked them, just give me 500K or something that I can start. I'm going to be able to deliver on this and show you. And they said no. And then I went to some conference that I was doing, that they were doing. And I saw one of the company that they did invest in, and it was a man founder. And, and in the end of the conversation, he kind of like, come, and they were arguing. I went to drink beer in the car. I said, crap, you will never be able to do that. Like, first of all, it's not going to touch me most likely. But second of all, even the relationship of the stuff that is common between us, it's not common. He doesn't even have kids. I have, you know what I mean? There's so many different. I kind of like said, wow, that, that, that's a really challenge. I don't know, like I personally, I needed one person to believe in me. That's all I needed, right? Doesn't matter how many no's you're getting, you need one. I was very, very positive on myself. I knew what I know, my, what, I, what I was doing, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, by the way. Um, so I eventually got the money. It wasn't that it wasn't risky. And then, then it's kind of like up to you, right? Once you're getting the money, now it's all talking about results. 
And I think that, you know, I, I was very bullish about it. I'm going to deliver. It's not going to be an issue. And I, the only thing that I can tell you is that there's a woman and I heard a lot. And in the beginning, I didn't think it's an issue at all. Like I didn't understand what people are talking. I was like, wait, well, why it's an issue? What does it matter? I actually liked it that when I'm going to conference like Beyond Worth, for instance, there's no line in the woman. Like finally, the woman. I was so excited. Like you guys stand and I'm saying, honestly, this is amazing. So I personally did not have a problem with this. There's two things that usually, like one thing that I understood right at the beginning is that I probably will need to work harder and prove that I'm better more than any man that will compete with me. So I will walk out there and I will prove, I, you know, it's just going to drive me to get better. So I, I had no problem with that. And the second one is that I actually really, really, really don't like when people talking to me and they say to me, oh, can I interview because you're a woman? Or, hey, can you talk here in the panel because we need a woman? No, I need to talk there because I'm a damn good in technology. This is why you need me to talk. So be smart when you invite me. So I, I'm actually opposite. I actually don't believe in like, let's help women because poor them. I think part of the job of creating a company and success company is that A, you will be able to trick people to follow you and you need to be able to talk and you will be able to position. If you don't have that, you will not be able to be successful. It doesn't matter if PC will give you money just because you're a woman, you will fail. So, you know, it's like what you really, really, really need to do is just focus very, very hard on be the best and, and have those qualities that the founder need to have. And if you don't, you probably doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, you make a really good point there. I want to go back to what you just kind of said just a second ago. You said, I'm not there. You don't want me. I don't want to talk just because I'm a woman. I don't want to be invited just because I'm a woman. I want to be part of this because I'm a damn good engineer, right? That, 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 how do you, like, how would you, talking to somebody who's trying to get that feeling of belonging in this community, right? I think that's, you make a really good point. We don't want to just bring women in because they're women and make them feel like they're token. We want damn good engineers. How would you go to a teenage girl and say, this is how you become a damn good engineer? What helped you find that? What was that aha moment for you that said, I'm a damn good engineer and I know what I'm doing? Yeah, to me personally, I don't think that it was a thing. Like, I mean, for me, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was a basketball player, as you said. Uh, but I, I liked math. I always was very, very strong in math. And this side of, uh, in school, like, I just like math. Like, I don't know. I, people were adding, I was solving math problem. That it's like a, a riddles to me, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, like, I really like that. So, so computer makes sense to me. I personally, honestly, didn't choose it. It's more like my, you know, my, all my brother and my sisters are like basically doing computer. We're not coming from a family that has a lot of money. So it's actually was a very good thing to pay for, for instance, for tuition for the university and so on. So my father really pushed us. He didn't, he didn't want to university. He really pushed us to that direction of go. And my brother and my sister and my other brother all were his computer. So when I didn't know what to do, I said, okay, let's try. You know, it's like I would take some classes and see what's going on. So I actually took even a, a, a book and teach myself how to program. It was in the bubble. So I started there basically, just teaching myself and working. That's actually interesting. There's a lot of challenge here. And then I started, I, and I said, oh, that's interesting. Let's go down. Let's figure out how we can learn more. So it was more like, you know, no, nothing like I was born. I wasn't a teenager that's sitting in front of a computer and playing for fun. I have those people in my company, but I'm more than one. My son is like this. He's like, all he's talking to me about is that this new computer, this thing, and he programmed this and he did this. 
I wasn't ever like this. I like the riddle and the challenge. So that's what I did. What I will suggest is this. I see a lot of people trying to put stamps in class and so on. And I feel that, for instance, if there is just like of it, some class in, in the doing computers, I will suggest that we will do it as part of something that, that maybe a woman wants. What do I mean? Maybe, I don't know, let's assume, just assumption that I'm a little girl and I really like Barbie or some bald dog. I will really be challenged if I will need to recreate a Barbie robot versus, a, I don't know, some, you know, and maybe garbage truck. You know what I mean? Maybe. I don't know if it's true, but I think I might. So what I would suggest is that maybe if we do, we pushing women and girls to STEM, make it more feminine, like make it something that they're passionate about that. And I think that that's something that maybe we're not doing enough. No, I, I, that's, a, that's a great point. And I love the point that you pointed out that we most of us didn't choose this career. It kind of chose us and we just kind of ended up here and we, we just had to make it work, right? It, it's kind of fascinating how this, like, because I go back and I look at how my dad chose his career and he went on this whole, he, he took a whole path that was really defined for how he was going to end it. Same with my mom, who's a nurse. But for me, it's just been kind of, I sat in front of a computer one day, I found out I was good at it and I just kind of went from there. So it's kind of exactly. interesting. Like, so I will tell you a quick story. You don't, you don't yeah, have please, there, please, please. So, um, I met my husband. My husband is a professor. He was a physics, a PhD student back then in the Weizmann Institute. And we were sitting kind of like a day before we were supposed to go to, to work. And I'm, you know, I was a web design, web engineer back then, you know. And basically I said, oh my God, tomorrow is Sunday. In Israel, it's like the Monday here. Oh my God, tomorrow is Sunday. We need to go to work. Oh my God, I can't believe it. And then he said to me, I actually excited about that. He said, what do you mean? He said, I like what I'm doing. I want to go back to work. I want to work on it. I'm passionate about that. And I'm like, hmm, I'm 24 and I'm already doesn't like what I'm doing. Now think about it. I mean, we will work until seven. So like, what am I going to do? All my life I will do something that I don't like. So I think that's something that is very important to me that understanding that point, I need to find something that actually passion, that actually give me, because the only way for me to be good if I will be passionate about that. And I think that's what I did. So I started up the stack, but I move here and here and here until I find the thing that I, A, very good at this and B, damn passionate about it. So I'm excited to go to work and that's why it makes me, my opinion, good. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. And I think that too often we lose our passion because we get bogged down in our career, right? Like we forget that it's okay to explore. We forget that it's okay exactly. to quit and say, you know what? I want to try something else for a minute. Lord knows I've done it. Right. Like I've, I've jumped out of the tech industry a couple of times and I find my way back. But, you know, I yeah. usually end up doing something different. Like the last time I took a break, I went and played on a side project with some hobbies and thought I want to try it out. And I came back and I started on DevOps and went from IT management to DevOps and just really fell in love with DevOps. And um, same thing with going from a DevOps practitioner to DevRel. Right. Where now I get where now most of my job is hands off keyboard. But my, the stuff that I do on a daily basis in DevRel is just playing and exploring. And I think that that yeah. makes it really fun, too. You're listening to Cloud Control. I'm your I'm your host, Sean Harris. And this is brought to you by Spot by NetApp. And we are talking with Edith Levine. She's the co the, not the co-founder, the actual founder of Solo.io. Um, 
We've talked a little bit about her career and her trajectory on how she landed here. So let's move on and talk about open source and the future of open source with some of the changes that we've seen. Um, open source is all about collaboration, right? Like, And we've seen um, how that can go up and benefit companies. We've seen re very recently how um, small changes in open source communities can change the trajectory of a project. Um, looking at you, Terraform and Open Tofu, um, how is the open source community shaped Solo.io? Right, because I realize that you're not strictly open source; you're you're for profit business, but you have yeah. open source roots and you collaborate with the open source community. How does that shape what Solo.io makes and delivers, and how does it in, how does it influence your company's vision and leadership? So. So, so Solo is an open core company, what's called, which is the mean that we are, you know, we are very active in the community. We are helping the community build a great project, but then we are differentiating ourselves by putting more closed source extension on top of it. And when I'm saying extensions, it's extension because it is based on the API end of the product and it's more the enterprise feature is what we're basically extending. That way that... If you are interested in engagements, for instance, you should use Groove, one of the best that exists in the market by far. It's open source. It's great. Just go use it. If you're more looking for the security feature of it or stuff that is more validation or delegation, which is more like an organization thing, that's where you will come to someone like Solo. So, so, so that's the way we differentiate it in generally. Now, the question of what putting and not putting in the open source, which is, I think, the question you ask, is... Uh, it's again, it's an art that you're learning, right, to do it. But you always need to make sure as organization, as you said, eventually we have to make money. Otherwise, I would not be able to continue paying my, my uh, engineer and my, my people. So I need to make that. So again, what you need to verify is that what are you putting on top of, or a side of it or extending it that is beneficial enough that people will want to pay for. So it's my job to make sure that it's a damn good software. I and I, I but and the, the reason open source is so interesting is more more not only because of the community because again there is not a lot of open source projects that everybody contributing to it. I mean you know there's KubeCon and Kubernetes and and some but honestly most of the time you know like in Dashi models it, the company open source they're opening it right most of the people will pay for it if you you need support and so on so. The question is that why did they open it from the get-go? And I think that what, if you notice really, really well, you will discover that it's very, very hard to make a real open source community. You can do it in the CNCF a little bit because it's not only to a specific company. But if you remember, even SD at the beginning was an issue because it was belonged to Google. So now there was a lot of frustration around that. So... I think that the advantage of company, if that's the case, why we even open source something, if you're not planning to give it to the CNCF, I think it's marketing. I will be honest. If you're asking why Ashley was doing it in the beginning, it was marketing. And it's a trade-off. You're getting marketing, right? But you also can get competition because of it. And that's very, very interesting thing because theoretically that's what happened there. So actually a little bit, the, the reason I think people was very frustrated is because the open source, it, to get the marketing, and then he said, you know what? Not anymore. And that's like, so you know what I mean? They weren't too good for me. So I can see why there was a lot of frustration there. Um, for us personally in Solo, 
we have open source project that we started it, but a lot of the time we actually join to open source project that done by some big company like Google, for instance. And then we contributing a lot in part of the community. We are very, very, you know, we are leading it, honestly, in the case of SDO. But, um, but you know, it, it's not, you know, as I said, we're extending it. This is basically the way we're doing it. And that's why we get involved, right? They're not only that, the community getting, we're contributing a lot to SDO. Google is happy about it. Or, you know, I don't know, Microsoft is happy about it because we're making the project better. But again, we're still keeping the differentiator by actually extending it. Um, as I said, it can't happen to a project in the CNCF because that's all the point of having foundation. Um, so yeah, that, that's more or less, I don't know if it's helpful. With the growth and the adoption of, the, of cloud computing and free and open source software, we've seen the big players, the, big, the, the, the three major hyperscalers, so AWS, Google, and Amazon. Granted, Kubernetes started out as a Google project that was released to the CNCF, but you've seen traditionally closed off companies and looking at you, Microsoft, right? Who has made real strides into open source, contributing to the open source community, adopting Kubernetes, reworking core products like SQL Server to run on Linux um, with something that we never thought we would see. What's it been like being as a part of this industry and seeing Microsoft specifically um, come around and join the open source community and embrace some of that aspect. And what do you see for the future with, do you see software becoming in general more open over the next five, 10 years? Or do you see us going back to a more closed off and walled garden model? I don't know. It's a very good question. I think that, look, when I started the company, I'm going to be very blunt. Here's what I was thinking about open source. I'm going to start this company. I'm going to put a damn good open source project out there. Like we know, engineering, we're a good engineer. We'll put a damn good something that would be very useful. And that's it. We will become the next good, doc good doctor and everybody will want to take the product. And it's really just fantastic. And oh boy, and I said to myself, the reason other people cannot do this is because the software that they're putting there is not good enough. But we will come with an amazing software from the beginning. And then why wouldn't they adopt? And oh boy, I was wrong. So I think that Open source is very different than a lot of people that thinking that it is. And I'm being very, very careful about what I'm saying. Yo, people did not adopt this. They actually stole it and putting it part of the product. That's what really happened there. And that's giving you an ability of kind of like saying, oh, wow, what's going on? So listen, the cloud provider wanted to run on the cloud provider. That's what they need to do. That's how they're making their money. They want you there. Um, do they care about open source? Not really. Not really. They're doing it because that position them as a very nice people. You see that with Amazon, and I know everybody's very upset about Amazon, but honestly, Google is not that different than Amazon. They're doing the same sheet, trust me. And if you're looking at Microsoft, I can tell you because I can tell you that Google, that Microsoft seriously stole a project for me. So with all the respect, and I have a lot of respect, I, don't, I personally believe, and I'm very honest here, maybe too much, is that you know, they, the big people, and I'm saying it with a lot of love, I'm partnering with them, we have a relationship with them. They are great people, but they care about money and they care about making stuff running on their infrastructure, which is nothing bad about it. This is the business that we are in, right? So it's a little bit naive to think otherwise. So the question is, what is the job of the open source here? I can tell you this as an engineer, I love it. I mean, I'm working with people from Google, Microsoft, and all those people, we have fun and it's fantastic. But if it's not that, 
politics is it exists only in companies like EMC. I, oh boy, it was wrong. It's here, it's in the open source, and that's basically the thing. So how are we going to go more close? We might, I will be honest, we might. And the reason I'm thinking of this is because I feel that there is, first of all, because I think that some of the companies, if you're looking at Google, they are right now a little bit faster from all the open source, that they took a lot of people to work more on the closed source because honestly, they're not making their number. They're in a bad shape in the cloud and they need to make money. And therefore you see them pulling people from open source and actually way more focus on closed source. I think that AWS always did this. So, you know, no one will uh, blame them. And I think that Microsoft is somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Like, I mean, they're not as good as technology as the other clouds on it, cloud, honestly. So I feel that they need this thing to look marketing. Their marketing is more important. You know, it's important them to look good. And I and I'm blunt. I mean, no, and I appreciate that. that. I I think that I think that a we need to be more blunt about the intentions of some of these companies, right? I think that I think that that's important because. At the end of the day, they are trying to make money. At the end of the day, their job is to maximize the investment of their shareholders, even AWS, right, who is a subsidiary of Amazon. But if you watch how much Amazon relies on that profit from AWS to fund their stuff, it's not bad, right? Like you yeah. said, it's not bad. We just have to be honest about it. And I think that too often we, like we do with sustainability, we greenwash sustainability and make it look better than it is. But I also think that we do it with software in the open source community, right? And we use the open source community um, to kind of hide some of the stuff that we, that people tend to ignore when it comes to software companies as a, in general. With that blunt honesty, there are lots of buzzwords like service mesh and microservices and containers. Um, how do you get through the buzzy aspect of it when you're selling a, a product like Solo, right? Where there are so many buzzwords that CTOs hear. Because you you said at the beginning of our uh, at the beginning of our conversation, being the CTO isn't about being tactical and hands on. It's big picture. Right? Your job as CTO is to be looking five, ten. I'm years actually down a the road. CEO, but yeah. Right, but no, but you, yeah. you said CEO, but you also mentioned the CTO and how a CTO 100%. interacts with that vision, right? Um, yeah. How do these vision? How do these technologies redefine the what we think of when it comes to application networking and service delivery? And how do you get past the buzzwords to show what the value of Solo is to non to people who really don't understand the technology deep down as practitioners? Right, They're, they know what this stuff does, but they don't know how it does it, right? How do you sell that vision? It's actually a tough one, right? In the beginning, all our marketing was very, very technical. And people say, wait, what? Like, what do you want? Um, I would say that, first of all, we're still working on this. It's not great as it was. If you look at solar, it's still very technical content. And unfortunately, we are selling content. And honestly, the only thing that I would say is that right now, we're relatively selling it to a technical audience, right? And if you think about it, at least from the beginning, most of the people that we sell them, and I think that change with, with Docker is the people that are actually writing the code usually. Those are, you know what I mean, or, or the platform people, you know, people that are technical enough. You're not going directly to the CIO and say, hey, we want to tell you about this thing, right? I mean, that's not how we're doing the sales. Again, maybe the big companies doing it. That's not our solo doing it. So I think that in the nutshells, we are going to the, to the right people. I think that education, like, I mean, Solo has this thing called Solo Academy and in purpose. 
because we believe that, you know, it's not enough to come and sell on the vision. That I can do. But the question is that, as you said, how are we making them successful in production? And we have the companies actually build exactly for that. So first of all, we have Solar Academy that's focusing on teaching people free money, just teach, teach, teach. And then the second one is, um, is you know, we're working very, very, very close with our customers. You know, our model is way different than other companies. Like we basically, we have team that they're responsible to bring them to production. That's what we measure and we want to make sure that they are successful. And we're doing it in a very collaborative way. So we have Slack channels with them and we're basically seriously making sure that like we have a skin in the game for their success, right? Um, so I think that again, we work in very partnership with the, with the companies, like really like they're looking at us as their extension team. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's, that's that. And in terms of selling it, look, I'm still working on this. It's not easy like to understand how to sell things, but not be too technical, but not be, but if you're not too technical and not in the detail, I do differentiate between you and the offer that other companies giving that is not great, right? How do you do that? And I think the answer, we still try to figure out, but here's what I believe, persistence. So I believe that in general. With people and with the thing, just persistently be better. That's all. We persistently ship more, we persistently ship faster, we persistently ship better technology. Eventually, here's what's going to happen. Someone will go with me and someone will go with some other competitor and they'll miserably will fail. And my person that went with me was successful. And then he will go to a different company and then he will talk about it with other people. And honestly, that's how we got the market eventually because people talk, you know what I mean? So just persistently be better, have your own kind of like, ignore the competition, just, you know, sell a damn good product and make sure that those people are successful and it's there eventually it's all work out great you bring up a great that, that's a great point you and you mentioned that pragmatic customer centric development right like where customers are driving what your um what customers are driving what your product is going to do down the road and how much impact or how much not how much impact how much how much of your roadmap is defined by customer needs customer. when it comes to like going and getting that in doing those interviews and saying what, what what's working, what's not, and what would you like to see? How much of your roadmap is driven by that? And how much of your roadmap is driven internally by you or your vision or the people that work in the company? So I really like to say that, you know, it's something that a lot of people say, so it's not that unique, but I'm still going to say it again, is that, um, you know, if, if, if Ford will go and ask people, hey, why do you think I should build next? They will tell him a faster horse, right? They're not going to tell him, uh, you know, a, a car. But I do believe that what I need to get from the customer is their problem statement. What they're doing and where their problem is. My job to come with the solution. I'm the expert one. It's like you will go to a pizzeria and you're basically going to, you know, tell them how to do your pizza. I mean, dude, that's what they know how to do. Let them do the job. So, you know, they need to know that you want a pizza, right? And they need to know that maybe you want, uh, you, I don't know, pepperoni pizza but they don't need you to tell them how to do the pizza. So that's exactly how I see customer. I actually not going to the customer to ask them, what should I do or how should I do that? I'm asking them, can you tell me where is your pain? And then I'm trying to find a solution. I have to say that I'm different. So I'm actually pushing a lot of this. I feel that there is a lot of data in the internet. And if in the past you needed to go and talk to a lot of customers, ask them, honestly, like I can read about it in the internet. People are blogging about it and write. So that's a lot of data that I can consume. And besides that, again, it's in my opinion, there is also the, you know, 
my competitive already talked to hundreds of customers. So I can also look what they did and learn from that a little bit. So if you're getting all of this information, you usually have enough, enough to know what you should do. So to me, the customer is more fine tuning. So what do I mean? We're coming with a solution. We're saying, here's what we think we should do. And here's what we're doing and we're building it. And then when customers start using it, they're giving us some feedback. Oh, we actually want to use Elm. We don't want to do Glue install. Or, hey, we really need a WAF, right? And then you're doing it. But then, honestly, if you think about the product, it's like you're building a framework. And then it's basically just extension to those frameworks. And that's where the customer is helpful a lot. So we're working very, very close to the customer, getting a lot of feedback. I will argue that it's more like, what are the features that I want to do? See? Not how, no, you know, no what. You know, it's more like, what is the feature that they want us to extend in the platform? And then be prioritizing it. But I will argue that the majority is more innovation, in my opinion. That is a great, great point. Well, we've been at this almost an hour. Um, I, I, I feel like we've had a really good in-depth discussion. The fall conference season is coming up. Where, what shows are you going to be at this fall? Um, we're getting, we're, we're, I, I know KubeCon's in, what, a week and a half? reinvents coming up are you gonna can we find you guys at those shows or where wh what shows can we find you at and how can we learn more about solo yeah so solo actually is going to be in a lot of shows way more than i personally will be of course one of the biggest one that we have is KubeCon coming up right now in chicago and then there is reinvent that's the one that i know there is way more there is like yeah you know we we we, we sponsoring a lot of stuff but i mean i think that this is one that a majority of the team will be and be is very, very important to us. It's very relevant to our space, but we are actually everywhere, meetups and, you know, whatever we, like this is part of the marketing uh, uh, team to bring the story everywhere. So, but yeah, we're definitely going to be in KubeCon and we definitely going to be, and we're also going to announce some cool announcements that I'm really, really excited for, you know, so, and then you will be able to see them, of course, on the website. Well, I can't wait to see what Solo does next because it's very interesting technology. Um, it's been great getting to know you and talk about your story and how you started Solo and how you've gotten to where you are now. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention that you can find um, Spot and NetApp. So um, Spot will have a booth, NetApp will have a booth at KubeCon North America. I'll be there, I'll have my camera and some microphones there. You can come talk to me about all things CloudOps and you can come to reInvent for the first time. Spot and NetApp will have the, a connected booth and you'll be able to come by and learn about all of our cloud solutions um, at reInvent in Las Vegas at the end of November. Adit, it's been so great talking to you. I've had such a great, it was so insightful. I learned a lot about just kind of that leadership and your views on open source. It was very informative. Thank you for joining us today on Cloud Control. I am your host, Sean Harris, and next, and we will see you next time in the cloud. <laughs>